0: Uh, i was as jason was talking in both services i thought how cool his accent is and uh how i wish i had a cool accent and then i then i got a little concerned jason if if i went to new zealand would people think my accent is cool or just kind of (laughs) lame yeah i I was yeah uh, if you're listening online he said that would be a mixed bag yeah uh that, 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 that's, that's what I thought I would get, actually. Um, so t- today I will use a British accent. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, good morning, good morning. My name is Brad Kendall. I'm the lead pastor here. So great to be with you. Um, we are, we are going to have Q&A after the message. So if there's something that strikes you, you can write it down on, on the card and pass it up. Uh, that's in your uh, seat back pocket back pocket, or you can text a question right there to that number. Please text us all kinds of wonderful questions. Pastor Shar will be joining me in that. Uh, We're going to pray. Before we do that, I'm going to ask for some prayer support. Um, We're going to be talking about great, wonderful, meaty things this morning, and I'd love some prayer support. Can I get some people? Thank you, Chuck. Uh, Someone over here, Nakia. Thank you. Some people over here. And maybe someone over there. Great. Yeah, I, I love the this idea of us participating together prayerfully as we move through the message, uh, recognizing that God's doing stuff in the room. And we want to we want to be in on that as as we pray. Let's pray before we head into the message together and uh, and prepare our hearts and our minds. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are Lord. Lord, we are grateful that you are here. And Lord, we are grateful that you love us. There's not a person in this room. There's not a person on this planet you don't love. And you love us in a perfect way. And your love compels you to bestow amazing grace upon us so, so we don't have to fear coming to you today in faith. I pray, Holy God, that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, would enliven our hearts and open our minds, help us focus on the good news that you have for us today. We pray, God, that you would use this opportunity as a time where our lives are transformed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be unpacking one of the, uh, the, one of the great, amazing verses in the New Testament. Two verses, actually. I'm going to ask you to stand and read them with me. As we read them, and uh, you, you'll, you'll see that, that actually saying something out loud is important to these verses. So let's read them together. Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10. Here we go. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You may be seated. So, what if I were to say to you today... Well, Faith Covenant Church, um, I've been your lead pastor, but I just want you to know that uh, I don't believe Jesus is Lord and I don't believe God raised him from the dead. People in Christendom sometimes do those things. People who are outside of Christendom uh, become Christians and sometimes people who have been in the church leave the church. This happens. What if I was to say that? Would those words have consequences? Well, yeah, sure they would. The leadership of this church would come to me and they'd say, uh, Pastor Brad, we like you and everything, but uh, we want someone who believes Jesus is Lord and believe God raised Jesus from the dead to lead our church. We, We... We thank you for your time here, but your services are no longer needed. But also, uh, there would come a lot of consequences. Maybe some of you would start to wonder, oh, wow, maybe I need to question my faith. Maybe some of you would uh, say, I too believe that. My point is, there are consequences to what we say. Words are not innocuous. What we say with our mouth has consequences Romans 10:9 is very specific what we say with our mouths and what we believe in our hearts makes a difference for us and our eternity and our relationship with God so why is that let's look at this mouth and heart issue. We'll start here. And if you're taking notes, please take notes because they will help you follow along. Just so everyone knows when we take notes, um, when I write out notes, I do that so that when you look at those notes three weeks from now, you'll kind of know what we talked about. All right. They also help you follow along today. Uh, so my first point here is words make worlds when you confess with your mouth. This, this idea, words make worlds, is born right out of the scriptures. The very first chapter of Genesis, uh, God speaks and a world is created. Actually, many worlds. A whole universe is created. Uh, God's words have consequences. God said, let there be light, and boom, there's light. So God's, God's word has uh, consequences. It does stuff. Uh, the, the first words in the Gospel of John... In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus. John is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the the uh, the, the the essence of everything that God is trying to say to humanity. His Word, that Word, Jesus, the Word in the flesh. It makes a difference. Jesus has consequences. That word, actually, Jesus, the name, means God saves, essentially. And if that's true, that God saves, well, then that name, Jesus, actually is a very important word, isn't it? Especially if that word is backed up by a life where God saves. And your words have consequences, my words have consequences. If you say today, uh, I'm a vegetarian well, that's going to affect lunch, right? Depending upon how you move, move through that, that call to be a vegetarian. Let's say you say, uh, I'm a Republican. Well, that's going to have consequences in what you do. If you say, I'm a Democrat, that's going to have consequences in what you do. If you join this organization or that, I, I'm now a golfer. Okay, well then, that's going to have consequences unless you're lying. <laughs> you see, words make worlds. The words we heard grew, growing up, that have, those words have helped form our world today. Often for good, often for ill. The words you hear at work, the words you hear in your home, the, the words you read, the words uh, you, you hear on TV or on the internet, on, on the radio, these words, they, they actually do things. They're not completely innocuous. They, they, they're not without consequence Now, why is this true? Well, it's true because we hold true what we confess. Yeah. What do we confess? What do we do when we confess? When I confess something, you know, a detective discovers, oh, we have a confession. Why is that important? Well, suddenly the person, the accused, is uh, coming straight, is being honest. They're telling the truth. If I say to you, uh, I've sinned. If I confess, I've sinned against you. Well, that confession of truth. I'm confessing this to be true. I have done something to damage our relationship. That actually is a very important thing that changes our relationship. It actually uh, confession typically helps build a relationship. Uh, if, if I don't confess that truth, it's, it's going to have consequences. If I do confess that truth, it's going to have consequences. If I say to you, I love you. Now, think think about if you had a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, you know, when was that first time you said to that person, I love you? Well, ooh, those words do something. They actually help form the world of that relationship. Someone one sixteen ten puts it perfectly. Uh, read this with me. I believed and therefore have I spoken. Yeah, we speak what we believe. A note, an email, (laughs) a Facebook post, those are all good. But have you ever said to someone, I just need to hear the words. I need to hear it from your mouth. Say, please, I am sorry. Or say, please, I love you. Hear words make a difference in our world. This uh, part of, um, of Paul's writing, though, it's, it's specific words. First word, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus. Yeah, it's not just any name. If you confess with your mouth, uh, Liza is Lord. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a, a specific person, a specific name. I had a professor in seminary and uh, he gave this great illustration. I've always remembered it. I'm going to give it to you now. You're going to always remember it. (laughs) All right. In Christianity, uh, Christianity is kind of like a big circus tent, not in all that's going on in the church, but just what is the support system of of an old fashioned circus tent? Well, an old fashioned circus tent would have uh, a stakes in the ground all around the perimeter of the circus tent and, and rope going up to the tent. But then in the center of the circus tent, there'd be a center pole. And that center pole, if it's not there, it doesn't matter how many little uh, stakes you have around the perimeter of that tent. If you don't have that center pole, then the whole circus tent is just going to collapse it's the same in Christianity. We have all kinds of things we believe in Christianity, but the main deal, the main thing about everything in Christianity is Christ, is Jesus. Take that, the whole, take that out and the whole thing will collapse. There's no reason for us to gather anymore if you take Jesus out of the center. Uh, our, our salvation or our rescue depends on him and nothing else. Uh, Acts 4.12. Read this with me, if you would. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. But what do we confess about Jesus? Well, we confess uh, with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, Lord is not a word we use, you know, a lot in our culture anymore. Uh, but throughout the centuries. It's been an important wor- uh, a word. We have uh, for example. Uh, who's the Lord of this house. Or uh, the, the Lord of a kingdom. Uh, that word Lord. Simply means. The one who has authority. So the Lord of the house. Is the one who has the authority in that house. The Lord of the kingdom. Is the king of that kingdom. Jesus is Lord. That's what we're saying: is that particular person is the one who has ultimate authority. If I confess Jesus is Lord, then what I'm saying is Brad is not Lord, Char's not Lord, <laughs> Jill's not Lord, you're not Lord. If Jesus is Lord, now, it doesn't matter who's in the White House; they're not Lord. If Jesus is Lord, doesn't matter who's in charge of what kingdom or what company. It doesn't matter who has the authority in your house. While they might have the authority there, the big Lord is one and only. And that's Jesus. And to confess Jesus is Lord, to confess that Jesus is the one who has lordship over everything, is to say, uh, oh, I confess he's Lord, which means I'm in on him. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the Jesus kingdom lordship. We talk about the Lordship of Christ. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? That doesn't mean, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? That means, do you believe He's in charge? Do you, mean he has, do you believe He has the, the authority? Do you trust that He alone is the one by, through whom, who, by, by whom, through whom, and for whom everything has been created? Well, when I say Jesus is Lord, I'm also saying He's the standard by which... I understand what it is to be human, and he is a standard by which I understand who God is. When I say Jesus is Lord, I'm confessing my belief that sin and death are not Lord. That Satan is not Lord. I'm confessing this earthly vessel while moving through the storm of this life has hope because Jesus is Lord of the storm. He's the one who has the authority. And this confession needs to be spoken. I mean, imagine going to a wedding. So you go to a wedding, and the the, the bride and the groom they don't uh, they don't say "I do." They don't uh, confess their vows. They just stand there the whole time. Well, what's going to be your assumption about that pending marriage? Well, your assumption is going to be, well, this is not going anywhere. <laughs> These people are not willing to publicly confess that they're actually in love with each other. Christianity is about a love relationship. Loving relationships actually require confession of the love. Not just through actions, but through words. Words and actions always have to come together in a loving relationship. And I find it interesting that on Judgment Day, so the scriptures talk about there will be a day when we all stand before God and and our lives are judged. And if you know the the context of the way the Bible talks about this, most people are, are, are hoping that Jesus is going to confess on our behalf. Jesus is going to say, yeah, uh, Chuck's with me and uh, uh, Phil's with me and Lucy's with me and uh, uh, Josh is with me. We all want Jesus to confess on our behalf. But isn't it interesting? So often as we move through this world, we're pretty uncomfortable with confessing on his behalf. We want him to be vocal. (laughs) To say the words. But we're so often afraid to say the words. And when we don't, When we aren't willing to confess, that that has consequences. What I say has consequences. What I don't say has consequences. Matthew 10, uh, verse 32 says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And if you're thinking, wow, Jesus, that's really harsh. Well, is it really? I mean, uh, our life in Christ is this relationship. It's a loving relationship. Again, imagine a husband and a wife. The wife acknowledges her love for the husband, but let's say the husband will not even acknowledge that the marriage exists. Or the husband will not even say that he's married. Well, then you would say, well, that's not really a marriage, is it? This confession, this is Charles Spurgeon, this confession is a way of forming a visible union with the Lord Jesus. When a man, a woman, with his mouth confesses Christ, he does, as it were, take sides with Jesus and his cause on the earth. Question, what might be stopping you? Confessing Jesus is Lord. What, What gets in the way? If you think about it, is there really someone else you would like to be, Lord? Let's continue. Let's talk about the heart. Why is the heart important in these verses? Well, I'll start here. The heart determines destiny. Paul is specific. We have to believe in our heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, uh, interesting. But why, Paul? Why do we have to believe in our heart? this truth about the resurrection of Jesus. Theologian N.T. Wright, whom I uh, like quite a bit, he uses an illustration, and I'm just, I'm just going to read it for you, uh, and follow with me. Uh, he asks us to imagine a college or school being given a wonderful painting by an old member of the college or school. The painting is so magnificent that it must be displayed, but there is nowhere in the present college buildings that will do it justice. Eventually the college decides to pull down some of its main buildings and rebuild them with this picture as the central feature. Then in doing so, they discover that several things nobody really liked about the college, the way it used to be, the layout, the architecture, the, the inconvenient rooms, were suddenly solved in a new arrangement. The gift was rightly given to the college, but the college, in order to accept it, had itself to be transformed. That, I suggest, is what happens with the resurrection. The resurrection is not simply good news, a way to heaven to eternal life has been created. It is that. But the rec- resurrection changes everything. And it has to transform everything. It becomes the focal point by which we reorganize everything. Let me give you three, uh, three, three ways it does that. One, if we believe with the hearts Jesus is risen, we believe the kingdom of God has begun. This is huge. One of my favorite topics. If everyone, anyone ever comes to you and says, hey... What's the theme of Jesus' ministry? Your answer should be the kingdom of God. First words out of Jesus' mouth mouth in Mark, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, he comes and he says, Turn from your sins, believe the good news the kingdom of God has become. That's what everyone was waiting for. The beginning of the king. The king would come. And then the rule and reign of God would continue on. A rule and reign that would be a rule and reign of shalom. It would begin and it would have no end. All Jesus' parables, they're about all kinds of things. But they all start, well, the kingdom of God's like this, the kingdom of God's like that. So if Jesus has risen from the dead, then the kingdom of God has begun. Of course, this story has a bit of a twist. In the story, the king ends up on a cross. And above his head is written, King of the Jews. And what's going on here? Well, the authorities, Rome essentially, and and the religious leaders in in Israel, essentially uh, are making a statement. It's like Rome is saying, you know, this is what happens to would-be kings of the Jews. There is but one king, and that king is Caesar. Here is your king, Israel. Here is your king. He's naked, he's tortured, and he's dead. That's Good Friday. Three days later, we have the resurrection. We have Jesus coming uh, alive. But what do we have? We have God the Father saying, Okay, Rome. Okay, Israel. Okay, world. Here's the king. See, in the resurrection, the proclamation that the kingdom is at hand is actually vindicated. How can someone who is is dead rule forever? Someone who's dead can't rule forever, but someone who will never die can rule forever. Where does Jesus' rule and reign begin? It begins in the heart of each and every one of us who say, I am going to submit to Jesus as Lord. He is my Lord and he is very much alive. Secondly, if we believe with our hearts Jesus is risen, we believe Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. I'm going to get just a little political here. And I want you to hear that the kingdom, the resurrection is a political statement. Again, uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, each of the evangelists, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. For gospel writers, each of the evangelists tells a story of Jesus as the story of confrontation between Jesus and the Herod family, between Caesar or his representatives and behind them, Jesus and the dark satanic forces and powers of the world who shriek at him and plot against him. It was the powers of the world, spiritual, yes, but also political powers. That put Jesus on the cross. And uh, the resurrection of Jesus is therefore the victory of Jesus over all the powers. If Jesus has risen from the dead, that means all the Caesars do not have the power. Christ alone has the power. All the the Kremlins, all the, the palaces, all the White Houses, every CEO. It doesn't matter who The power is. Their days are numbered. Because only Jesus is the king whose rule and reign has no end. So the resurrection is highly political too. The resurrection is also highly organic. This is my last point here. If we believe uh, with our hearts Jesus is risen, we believe the new creation has begun. Ah, as you've heard me say, hopefully in other contexts, there's all kinds of organic imagery that happens in the Easter story. Okay? We have um, uh, it, 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 the, the Garden of Eden happens in a garden. Jesus is risen in a garden. He, he, he comes out of the ground. He's mistaken for the gardener. The, the day that he rises from the dead is Sunday, which is the first day of of the Jewish week. Kids, if you're with me at all, okay. if you're taking notes, kids, your Sunday Sunday school teachers, your your classroom teachers are going to talk about the the first human beings, Adam and Eve. Hear this, and let it percolate for the next many years. Jesus is the second Adam. You have this Adam. You can ask your parents about this. (laughs) And then you have the second Adam. In this Adam, here, read this with me. First Corinthians fifteen twenty and 22. Let's read it together. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, that's the first Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I love this. This image of this first of the first fruits is used throughout the scriptures. It's in an agricultural community. The first fruits were always early signs that a great harvest Is coming. Jesus is the first fruits of that great harvest. Our resurrection is the harvest to follow. But our life in between Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, it's not just uh, as as spectators, it's active participants in the rule and reign of Jesus, moving through life as Christ ones, saying He is Lord, not all the other powers in the world. And where we believe there, where we see that there is darkness and it looks like all everything is falling apart part, we know that our God is the God of new creation and there is hope and there is a resurrection to come and God is not done with any person on the face of this planet just yet. He is the Lord. And He's not dead. He is risen. This being the case, what is God calling you to do, change, or pray about this week? Romans 10, 9 and 10 is not a verse that allows for a lot of gray area, really. Um, it's an all-in or all-out verse. So where do you stand with it? Are you willing to confess with your mouth? Yeah. Jesus is Lord. Are you, do you believe in your heart? God raised him from the dead. And maybe you're not ready yet to, to, to cross that line of faith. Okay, that, that's honest. I, I, I believe that. What's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? Is it, well, I don't believe in the resurrection. Okay, have you actually done the investigation? To, to, to see, is there any evidence actually for the resurrection? Are there really any smart people that believe in the resurrection? I can tell you and point to you. To many people who do. Often though, I found that the greatest sticking point is not the resurrection really. The resur- it's, it's more if I confess Jesus as Lord then, that, then I'm not. And if I confess Jesus as Lord then he's the one calling the shots and not me. And if I confess Jesus as Lord, I'm going to have to give up a part of me. I'm not going to be me anymore. Well, is it possible that you, we can't really understand who we are until we find ourselves in him? If everything has been made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, is it possible we, we can't truly understand our vocation, what, what we're, we're made for, the purpose for our, our living, until... We place ourselves under his lordship, allowing the loving rule and reign of Christ to be all that guides our life. Is it possible we won't find rest until we find our rest in him? Let's pause there for Q&A. If you have a question, please write it down. And uh, pass it to the front, or Pastor Shar will, uh, or you can text a question to my phone. Pastor Shar and I always reserve the right to be wrong. Um, oh, sorry. Do you want to start with... Uh, what? I'll start. I'll ask, I'll ask you one. I have some friends who struggle with how other Christians live their lives in presumed hypocrisy. And that seems to be a barrier for them giving their lives over to Jesus. What is your advice to those with that barrier?
1: I hear that quite a bit. <laughs> um, and my, my advice always is, don't judge Jesus by people. <laughs> go write to Scripture and go read about the life of Jesus. What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus say? How did he live? How did he respond to people? That's our, that's our goal. People aren't. We're all going to fall short. I fall short. Brad even falls short. <laughs> you see in Scripture, pretty much everybody falls short except Jesus. So mm-hmm. Jesus is the standard.
0: Yeah. And I always like to say the Scriptures don't tell the story of people who follow Jesus who get it right all the time. The scriptures tell a very honest story. The followers of Jesus, the followers of God, uh, come up short. That's why it's an honest book. Um, You want to give me that one?
1: Is it fair to say that the link between the two atoms is that God breathed life into both? New creation, new life, new beginning. A link between the two atoms is that God breathed life into both.
0: Um, the slash I, is it fair to say the link between the two atoms is that God breathed life into both. Um, my only struggle, yes. My my only struggle with that is the idea that uh, this idea that. Uh, Jesus did not did not have life until uh, he was conceived in the womb of Mary, and and so that would we would say um, that no Jesus is eternal. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So Jesus has always existed. Uh, Jesus became flesh in what we would say call the incarnation, in the coming of Christ, um, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, born. A, a man. So um, I don't know if that answers the question, but that'd be my only hedge. I, there, is, there is no life giving at all anywhere without God, biblically speaking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Here's one. So is my dad disowned by God since he doesn't believe in God? Or hmm. is any human being disowned by God?
0: That's a great question. Um, I'll think about this, uh, talk about this a couple different ways. One, um, when when I say Jesus is Lord, what I am doing is acknowledging that which already exists. So sometimes I'll hear people pray. I've even prayed and I kind of catch myself, you know. I pray that these people will... um, this particular person will um, bring their lives under your lordship. The only problem with that is that um, it's kind of like um, their their life is already already under the lordship; they just don't acknowledge it. You know, so if you know, in our country, we have a particular president. And you could say, well, he's—he's—I he's, don't believe he's the president. Well, okay, um, but he is. <laughs> uh, that's just a, thats an is. He is. Um, I think what what going back to that verse where Jesus says, you know, if if you basically say no to me, um, I I will uh, oblige and say, okay, no. Um, in the end, there, there will come a point where those who said no um, said, I, "I choose no to God." When it comes to God, I say no. I think there there comes a point, biblically speaking, where we can't escape the fact that those who say no uh, do not get to live in the eternal uh, love of ex- live in the eternal love of God in an eternal life. Um, that's a whole other sermon, but. The, the reason I struggle with the question is, is, is this person's father who doesn't believe in God. Um, they, they might say, well, I don't believe God is God. Well, that, their belief doesn't make God not God. Um, I don't believe in God. Well, if, if God made them, God give, provides every breath, God provides everything they need to survive, they might not acknowledge that God is real, but that doesn't make God not real. Um, Now, if God is not real, then they're right. But if there is a God, and we believe there is a God, and this God does create everything, um, even every breath uh, possible, then there is a point where this person is still completely, moment by moment, dependent upon the sustenance that God alone provides. That was a long answer, but it's a complicated question. Can I just just
1: add that um, since someone doesn't believe in God, that's present tense. So that's assuming, as I'm reading this, that this individual is still alive, which means that his or her life is not over yet, which means that God will pursue. God, Mm -hmm. God loves your dad. God loves you. God loves your neighbor, your friend, your son, your whatever Um, and until your life is over until you breathe your last breath there's always hope Mm -hmm. there's always hope so we can't say that anyone is disowned by god while they're still walking on this earth because there's hope right up to the very last breath
0: for good can you ask me the retreat question yeah
1: what does this have to do with the retreat
0: (laughs) (laughs) i will now tell you (laughs) well if you think about it uh, you know, there's like I said, a very very specific verse. If you believe with your, uh, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Well, um, that means that there are people who who may need to learn that that Jesus is Lord, and that He rose from the dead. Um, we have a wonderful opportunity here, south of the river, uh, the the fastest growing population in our community is mostly uh, Muslim. What an amazing gift God is giving our church and the churches around here, you, you very likely are going to live near a Muslim person. You're going to encounter that person in the marketplace and God has entrusted you with this good news. Our problem is we often go, oh, time out, I wouldn't even know how to share the love of Christ with someone who's Muslim. Well, if you come to our retreat <laughs> uh, next weekend, you'll actually learn. And, and this is part of our call, you know. Uh, we are called to make disciples of Jesus, and disciples of Jesus are called to go and share the good news of Jesus. So, that's my shameless plug to uh, walk out of here and go to the information table and sign up to come to our retreat next weekend. <laughs> I think we should be done. All right. Um, Thank you, Shar. Why don't we pray? And what I'd like to do is, I'll just stay seated. Um, I'd like to give an opportunity, if there's anyone here who has, who is thinking, you know what? Today is the day. I need to just let go. I do believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he rose from the dead. And I want to say to God this morning, I'm all in. If you've never crossed that line of faith, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now. Just Let's, let's all bow our heads. and uh, This can begin simply in a prayer of confession. This is so simple. The reason it's simple is because God loves you and has done everything necessary for you to come into his kingdom. You simply have to trust and believe. So, this is the way... Uh, I, I did it. Um, I prayed. And uh, I'm going to pray a line. You can pray a line to God. And uh, we're going to admit, we're going to believe, and we're going to commit. So, Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need to be rescued. I need a Savior. I believe You lived, died, and rose again so that I might be saved. And I commit to surrendering to your Lordship and doing life now with you as my King, as my Lord, as my Savior, my God, and my friend. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I might be empowered to follow you all the days of my life. And for our church, God, we pray that you would fill us, that we would see your leadership, trust in it, and that as we move out of this space into this world, that you would shine through us and more people would come to understand that you are alive and well and you are Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would please stand, we're going to close with a benediction. If you have a prayer need for any reason, uh, please come down front. We're going to have some people down front who would love to pray for you. And uh, I'll close with these words from Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Jill and I will be out at